with Drooping Wings, a good omens fanfic written by Werebear and read by B.I.P. One night in the bookshop, they were particularly drunk for no particular reason. Crowley was sprawled across a worn couch near the back, formerly a love seat. But the more often Crowley sprawled there, the more Aziraphale surreptitiously lengthened it, just a bit at a time, to make it more comfortable for him. While Aziraphale was curled up in his favorite armchair, he wore his favorite dressing gown, warm and worn, over his shirt and waistcoat, while Crowley had shed his leather jacket like a cast-off skin. That night, Crowley snapped their wine glasses full yet again and slurred, apropos of nothing. He's afraid of heights for a while. Not the heights exactly, the wind. What? This happened. Crowley's mind did leap about at times, especially on lengthening autumn nights at the shop. Soft yellow lamplight and the shadows of the shelves all around them, and a table full of open bottles under the window. And Aziraphale was fairly certain that the demon was several of those bottles ahead of him tonight. The wind wind, even after my wings healed. He gestured drunkenly with both wings and arms, stirring the air around them, and then ran a finger down his extended primaries. Aziraphale was rather too fond of Crowley's wings, so sleek, always so well-groomed had been ever since he'd first seen them, and that was ages and ages back. It was probably good he didn't see them that often. But this was a let-your-wings-down kind of night. His own were wrapped around him, fluffy and ruffled and nest-like. Took forever before I tried flying again. Aziraphale frowned, attempting concentration. You... Because the wind... Crowley said, over-enunciating. Wind on your face, in your hair? He shuddered dramatically. Distracted from the question of wings and healing, Aziraphale said, I thought that was your favorite part of flying. He was certain they'd have that conversation at some point. Sure, sure, yeah, but you know, for, he hiccuped, an an or so right after, couldn't stand it. Wind, clawing. If you're falling fast enough, long enough, feels like dull blades cutting into you, you know? Oh, does it? Aziraphale said very faintly. Mm hmm. Aziraphale thought he might not off at that point, but instead Crowley roused and stretched out a dark wing and peered at it. Lucky, though, he said, sipping his wine, still looking at his wing. Lucky? Hmm. Crowley looked bleary-eyed, but intent, turning the radial of his wing like a wrist with a fine jeweled watch on it to admire the sparkle. Healed clean. One demon I know? Nasty fellow. His are still crooked to this day. Shame. Not that there's many flight opportunities in his part of hell anyway, but still. Aziraphale didn't he didn't want to know the answer. It was too awful. But he wasn't sober enough to not to ask. I'm, I'm sorry about your uh, friend. Do they, do they do a lot of wing breaking? He swallowed down there. 
Crowley was quiet for so long, Aziraphale might have thought he had fallen asleep, except that when he glanced over, he saw those yellow serpentine eyes were even more inscrutable than usual, weirdly bright, watching. Yes, Crowley said slowly, but this was from the first time, from the casting out, from... Crowley looked away, shut his eyes, shrugged, and pulled his wings in, a little too tightly to be casual. How else would we all fall for so long? He drained his glass quickly. Aziraphale felt the wine sloshing in his own stomach, and he stopped and focused, transmuting his wine glass into a mug of cocoa to distract his body from wanting to be sick. He'd heard of rumors, but he'd wanted to think they were just demonic lies, exaggeration. He'd heard. He'd heard that they'd, they'd broken their wings before they expelled them, and he didn't know if it was all at once at the snap of a finger or if Uriel and Sandalphon and the rest had gone through and done it one by one or... or... He hadn't been present for the casting out itself a third, a whole third of the host. It had made him heartsick even back then, even if they had. Surely it wasn't really true. Surely it wasn't. He pulled his own wings closer, but it didn't make him feel better. He didn't want this to know this now. He didn't want to think about it. He feared he was more of a coward these days, not less. And Crowley, Crowley, his friend... Aziraphale wanted to reach out, to pull him in, to touch those dark feathers. He clenched his hands around his mug. Crowley was turning away anyway, his wings wrapped around himself. Don't talk anymore, he muttered, scooting down and settling on the couch. Sleep is good. Great invention, sleep. Yes, my dear, said Aziraphale, and he couldn't quite smile just now but he also couldn't stop his voice from softening unbearably. But uh, don't you think you should sober up first? But Crowley was already snoring. Aziraphale sobered himself up most of the way and then covered Crowley with an old afghan. Crowley would have been appalled if he were awake. It was a hideous orange and yellow and olive green pattern made of cheap synthetic wool. Aziraphale had found it in a charity shop, and every stitch had smelled so strongly of pure love, and still did, that he couldn't resist in spite of the raveling corner and the scratchiness, before he retired to read in an armchair around the corner of the shelving. Not his favorite spot, but far enough away that the light of the small lamp next to it wouldn't be a bother. It was late, past midnight, and there was a barely waning moon out still bright enough to cast light and shadow through the farther corners of the shop. He could feel the autumn chill outside, and he automatically took a moment to cast his awareness a little further, feeling the purr of the city, the distant vibration of humans, still talking and thinking and arguing and fighting, and loving and sleeping and choosing, choosing, choosing. He closed his eyes. There was an elderly homeless man and his dog, settling in a doorway three buildings down, and a group of friends walking past. Aziraphale could feel one of them, seeing the man, thinking of stopping. He very softly, 
so, so softly, free will was such a delicate thing, nudged. The human stopped. Hi, I like your dog, they said. You two all right here tonight? Aziraphale opened his eyes and smiled a little. He looked down at the open book in his lap, something large and old, not entirely recalling what it was. He heard the squeak of the couch. Crowley turned over, snorting, settling down again. Crowley. Surely it wasn't really true. Surely it wasn't. Aziraphale stroked the wide margins of the yellowing pages and tried to think about illustrating manuscripts back in the day. He remembered giggling over some of the surreal pictures the humans came up with, and he wondered where he'd put his silver point stylus and paints. It was so difficult to find proper parchment these days. Crowley was still restless, turning again, though his snoring breath continued. Maybe the light was disruptive after all. Aziraphale could retreat to the flat upstairs and his seldom-used bedroom there, but he didn't really want to leave Crowley alone. Shouldn't leave a demon unattended in the shop, he thought half-heartedly, rationalizing pathetically. Shouldn't have a demon here at all, you idiot. But that thread of guilt was so worn with overuse that it barely registered anymore most days. Shouldn't be caring about the quality of a demon's sleep. Now that was a bit sharper and more difficult. He could argue back that it was his job as an angel to care about every one of God's creations, even the fallen ones. Maybe especially the fallen ones. That argument certainly wouldn't get him far with Gabriel or Michael, though. Though maybe that's all the more reason to make it, his heart whispered. And it felt uncomfortably hollow tonight. Surely it wasn't. Surely. In the past, he'd so often thought and said other things. He'd assumed for a shamefully long time that it was utterly impossible for demons to love or to do anything like it. Certainly his infrequent encounters with most demons had never seemed to indicate otherwise. They smelled so distressing, reeking of hate, of cruelty, of schadenfreude, of despair, worst of all, of emptiness, a void where their angelic core should be. But he couldn't deny that Crowley had always, always smelled a little different since, well, almost since the beginning, since the garden even, if he thought about it. Remembering the first rain starting to fall, remembering that little shuffle closer, remembering lifting his left wing instinctively. It wasn't that Crowley didn't smell like a demon, only that he smelled like something else as well. Aziraphale had always assumed that oddness was a natural result of spending so much time on this strange, wild, mortal plane. But now he wondered if he should wonder. He wondered what would happen if other demons spent more time on Earth. If He wondered if something specific had happened to Crowley over the centuries. He wondered. Aziraphale shook his head. He'd always maintained that it wasn't his place to ask questions, was it? He tried to trust, to have faith, to endure. He knew and occasionally even admitted that he wasn't much of an angel, a great and mighty principality. He was soft and frequently gluttonous and slothful and probably a coward. But he tried to trust and he tried to love. Surely God knew he had tried. 
Maybe all this was the inevitable consequence of too much time spent around the snake of the garden and his infuriating questions. That was almost certainly true and should probably concern him more than it did. And yet... Aziraphale sighed. You're not really getting much reading done, he was thinking absently, when he heard a terrible small sound from the direction of the couch. Aziraphale was on his feet immediately, not even bothering with a bookmark. Crowley, he said, slipping back around the corner. Crowley was, as usual, reclined at a frankly incredible angle, twisted around, shoulders hunched, one arm over his face. His wings were wrapped and crumpled about him. Aziraphale knew perfectly well that their wings were, under normal circumstances, flexible in the extreme, but it was still unnerving given the conversation of the evening. Crowley was like a human toddler when he slept, given to the oddest contortions, and yet somehow never appearing to awaken stiff or sore in the least, which made sense, Aziraphale supposed, given the givens, but it was still odd to see and who knew what the rules were for a demon who actually liked sleep? Right now, Crowley did not appear to be enjoying his sleep. He was twitching very slightly, tangled up, and there, again, he made a small, miserable sound. Was this... was he really... Angels and demons weren't supposed to be able to have nightmares, or dreams at all, for that matter, though it was a less common question, because so few of them were interested in sleep at all. He himself found it tedious, but Aziraphale had delivered enough dream messages and soothed enough nightmares along the way to know the signs, he would have said. This was a discovery, really. Crowley made a suppressed moan that felt it was among the most dreadful things Aziraphale had ever heard. That was an absurd thing to even think, but he still stepped closer and said louder, Crowley, Crowley, dear, wake up. Crowley lurched and then lunged, or attempted to. He managed to get to his feet, but the afghan and his wings were tangled around him, and he nearly tripped. Aziraphale stepped in quickly enough to catch him by the elbows and keep him upright. For a moment, Crowley's eyes were blank and golden and didn't seem to recognize anything. For less than a moment, Aziraphale thought Crowley might try to fight him, which would be the first time in, well, centuries. It passed, though, and Crowley blinked, and then started twisting, looking over his shoulder frantically. It's all right, it's all right, it's just the blanket. Here, let me. Aziraphale tried to disentangle him from the afghan, which was stretched net-like around him at this point. Crowley was not cooperative. He was still trying to turn, almost like a dog chasing its tail. I, I can't, he said, whined really, and flailed. Oh, all right, said Aziraphale, slightly cross, and snapped, sending the afghan up to his bedroom. Hopefully. It had rather been a favorite, but... Freed from the entrapment of yarn, Crowley did not seem relieved. I can't, I can't see. He spun around, and one half-extended wing collapsed a pile of books, then struck the wine glass on the side table and sent it spinning and shattering to the floor, which only made him jump again. I can't. His voice was panicky. Crowley. It was as if he finally recognized him, if nothing else. Crowley grabbed Aziraphale's sleeves. 
Angel, he said in a wretched tone, please. My dear, it was such a very wretched tone that it was making Aziraphale quite profligate with the endearments, but he couldn't be helped. My dear, what is it? I, I can't I can't tell properly, he said, craning his neck. And uh, he was clearly still inebriated, but also dreadfully unhappy. Please, can you, will you check them, please? I can't. Sit down, dear, Aziraphale said, easing him to sit on the ottoman in front of the couch, hoping to calm him. It was out of the question, of course. Wing touching was, well, not truly analogous to humans and sex, or at least it needn't be, but it was still terrifically intimate. And it was late, and Crowley was still intoxicated, and bleary with sleep besides. Aziraphale couldn't possibly take advantage of him like this. But Crowley bent over, putting his elbows on his knees and his head in his hands, and made another awful noise. Angel, please. And Aziraphale was suddenly even more terrified that he might make the additional discovery that demons who had perhaps lived a little too long on earth were able to cry actual tears as well as to dream. And he did not feel equal at all to the task of coping with that potential knowledge. Very well, very well, he said, trying his best to sound businesslike, but gentle, like the veterinarians he had spent a decade hanging around with once after meeting that white fellow in Yorkshire in the 1930s. Eventually, he'd had to stop because it made him too sad to heal suffering animals the slow way, only for the sake of show. He sat down behind Crowley on the couch. I'll check them over for you. Curly made a sound which Aziraphale would, for his friend's dignity's sake, never have classified as a whimper, and curled over a little farther and spread out his rustling wings. They were certainly as lovely up close as Aziraphale could have recalled or hoped, sleek and dark, almost sharp-looking, unlike Aziraphale's own, which tended more toward downiness. They glittered in the late moonlight through the window, black with sheens of blue and pearl and red. Some of the covert feathers were rather must, displaced from the tough tussle with the afghan earlier, or perhaps tossing and turning on the couch. I'll start with the left, shall I, he said, or warned quietly, and Crowley nodded, not looking up. Aziraphale took a deep breath and laid his hands on them softly. I'll begin here at the blade of the scapula, he narrated quietly, because what else was there to do at this juncture? He felt the shoulder joint very carefully through and around the feathers to the shape of the bones. Down the humerus, he went on, up the radius, and here's the ulna beneath. He traced the thin skin between them slowly, his voice lowering. And here's the metacarpals and the phalanges. He swallowed, all perfectly sound which was true. He hadn't let his voice shake or his hands falter when he recognized the scars in the middle of the ulna and radius, the healed ridges of bone underneath where the breaks had been. Bad breaks, like someone had grabbed them and wrenched, twisted, leaving open wounds behind. Now the right, he said softly, almost a whisper. Curly nodded again. His wings and indeed his entire body seemed less twitchy than before. Aziraphale returned to center. 
The back of Curly's neck there, bare and bent, was intolerable. And he looked away, quickly repeating the process on the other side, carefully tracing along the bones, though not quickly enough to miss the matching scars, as well as one on the humerus. Dear God, he thought fervently, but he didn't know how to continue that prayer, what he wanted to say, what he was even feeling. All sound, Aziraphale said at last, and he couldn't help drawing his hand across them, a final stroke. He could feel that the pads of his fingers had already altered themselves just slightly for feather grooming. Though your cohorts are in a state, he added, trying to sound neutral. Curly shifted his shoulders, head still down. You could fix that, he said very low. If this were a normal moment, it would be the one where Aziraphale would laugh and say something along the lines of, oh, you serpent, or foul tempter working overtime again, hmm? It was normally over a more earthly temptation, brunch or a rare wine, a new variety of pear, not something so close to everything they really were. They'd played that moment hundreds, perhaps even thousands of times over the years. He knew by now that Crowley was just teasing, that he didn't really mean anything by it at all. But this wasn't a normal moment, in the still, mostly dark, with dawn a bare hour away, and Crowley still tense and trembling from talk and dreams, with his neck's neck bent and his wings drooping. And Aziraphale didn't have the heart for the joke. Instead, Aziraphale said, very well, attempting lightness. And he summoned up his admittedly dusty grooming kit, a small leather case with an assortment of grooming combs and a bottle of his own feather oil blend. He fully expected Crowley to laugh at this. He could practically hear him now. An oil blend? Don't you take any pride in your appearance at all? Doubtless Crowley used only his own preen oil, fresh. But Aziraphale's preen gland was awkwardly situated in this form. It varied from corporeal form to corporeal form. And mutual grooming, grooming being not much encouraged in heaven recently, and wings being in general immune to miraculous interference of most sorts, Aziraphale saved time by combining his own oil with some olive oil and scent and bottling it for convenience. A little went a long way at any rate. In any way, he was prepared to, prepared to protest. He had better things to do than fuss over his wings constantly. The expected mockery was not forthcoming, which really only worried Aziraphale more. Aziraphale realized belatedly, he's going to smell like me by the end of this, but it couldn't be helped. He could apologize for that later. More importantly in this case, Aziraphale certainly was not going to be invasive, and he wasn't going to go poking around where he hadn't been invited, wherever exactly that might be especially given the intoxication and the etc., which left this. Still, is this all right, he asked. Yeah, it's fine, Angel, Curly said a little gruffly, but he seemed not entirely at ease. Curly, he shrugged, rustling. I've been up here a long time, he said. He glanced back at Aziraphale and then shrugged again. Nobody to help out for a while. Ah, said Aziraphale. Yes, well, same here, I'm afraid. 
Curly cast a look at Aziraphale's ever-ruffled wings and then at the dusty grooming case and lifted an eyebrow. Is that the story then? He was nearly smiling. Oh, hush, said Aziraphale, and began as politely as possible to preen his demon's feathers. He didn't get out the combs. He didn't even bother to make a shoddy excuse in his mind regarding hygiene or anything else. It was only that he wanted to use his hands. Aziraphale could honestly not remember the last time he'd been groomed by someone else. He could barely remember what it felt like to do it or to have it done. It was too long ago. It had been millennia, and besides, he saw things so differently now. Now, well, now he knew he wanted to slide his fingers in among Crowley's feathers and check and smooth every barbel. He wanted to ruffle them up, must them a little, then tidy them again perfectly. He wanted to press his face into them. He wanted to dig in his hands and touch. He wanted to be impolite. He didn't, though, just carried on, fingers moving circumspectly. He closed his eyes in self-reproach, gluttony yet again, not to mention. And the way Crowley had slumped down now, even more boneless than usual, bent double over his knees. His wings relaxed and limp, letting Aziraphale turn and arrange them in any way he pleased to get it after feathers and quill shafts. He could not be said to be helping matters in the least. Did you know, Aziraphale said at random, trying to distract himself, that preen in English is a variant of the word prune? Ugh, said Crowley into his knees. And one obsolete definition of of that word meant anoint, Aziraphale continued very softly, adding a little more oil to his fingers and stroking it on, over feather, over delicate bone, over scar tissue, so gently, not to say with reverence, this distraction was really exceedingly ineffective. What? Crowley asked vaguely, sounding drunk. Never mind, Aziraphale sighed and eased the last feather too tenderly into place. I'll finish my... <laughs> he turned away and busied himself packing up the grooming case. Curly groaned and ran his hands through his hair, not even bothering to sit up. How are you feeling? Still a bit sloshed, Curly said, stretching, then watched as Aziraphale zipped the case and got it up to put it on a nearby shelf. Don't want me to have a go then? Aziraphale turned his back, fussing with the shelf. He is drunk, he told himself ferociously. He took a technically unnecessary but steadying breath. Perhaps another time, dear, he said lightly. By the time he turned back around, Curly was scrubbing at his sharp face with both hands. He looked a little tight and tense again already. Overtired, Aziraphale thought. My dear, he said, what about sobering up? Surely you'll sleep better. And not waking with a hangover was certainly to be preferred, as he knew from personal experience. He categorically refused to indulge any part of himself that wanted to think. And after all, if you were sober... Crowley laughed, brittle. Better not, supposing I want to sleep at all, he said morosely, and rubbed the back of his neck an oddly human gesture even on him. I should go. He made to stand up. Oh, 
He shouldn't say it as Zerafel knew perfectly well, but, oh, please don't. He took a step closer and somehow managed to refrain from blurting out. What if you have another nightmare? Just do stay, he attempted a smile. I promise not to wind you up in any more handicrafts. Hmm, Curly said, swaying slightly where he stood, looking halfway between sleep and suspicion. Aziraphale thought of excuses, arguments, words. Instead, he took a book and sat down at one end of the couch, very upright, flicked on the lamp, and looked up, speaking softly. Please stay. Crowley blinked his amber eyes very slowly, then nodded. He sidled over to the other end of the couch, then bonelessly curled down onto his side, wings around himself, hands pulled into his chest, the top of his head just barely brushing Aziraphale's leg. His hair was fiery in the lamplight. Aziraphale watched him sigh. Crowley smelled, as always, faintly of brimstone and smoke, and right now, like Aziraphale's wings as well, and also rather like the old Afghan. The scent must have rubbed off on him. Aziraphale stretched out his left wing, resting the edge on the back of the couch, so that the shadow lay cool and soothing over Crowley's face. Is this all right? Crowley's eyes stayed closed. Mm-hmm, it's nice. Aziraphale sighed, smiled tremulously, and opened the book in his lap. Sleep well, my dear, he murmured. The end. But another story follows. <laughs>